Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. So God the Father. We understand God the Father, right? Because we all had dads. We can understand the illustration, whether you had a good dad or a bad dad or an absent dad, you still understand what it means for somebody to be a father. And so, so God the Father, we tend to understand. And then God the Son, being Jesus, we get because we hear stories about Jesus and we talk about Jesus and we can read our Bibles about Jesus and we can teach our kiddos about Jesus. And if you come to Redemption, you're going to hear a lot about Jesus because we love Jesus here at Redemption. And so, so we can understand Jesus being the Son, but when it comes to God the Holy Spirit, that's where things get a little tricky. Who is God the Holy Spirit? What does God the Holy Spirit do? Is he a ghost? Is he a flame? Is he, is he the winds? How do we understand God the Holy Spirit? And because we tend not to talk about the Holy Spirit very often, it causes a lot of controversy and, and confusion and even some, some conflict. But I want to show you today that that need not be the case. And last week, we kind of did this big introduction about our current series, Holy Spirit, a second look at the third person of the Trinity. That's pretty clever, right? We came up with that. And so we're doing our Holy Spirit series. And in my introduction, I used some pretty, some pretty distinctive words to be able to, to lay out who we are and where we fall when it comes to what we believe at the, about the Holy Spirit. And over the course of the week, I got some questions and I got some comments and they were all very good. And there's not a lot, you know, nothing very negative. And, but I just thought that at the beginning of this sermon today, I would just take a minute and I would just clarify what it is that we believe when it comes to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit or the doctrine of the Trinity. Because all of us, we come from different backgrounds and beliefs, and so I think this is, this is very helpful. And when it comes to what a person believes about the Holy Spirit, there really are three categories in which a person can fall in, and, and it's called cults, cessationism, or continuationism. Okay, big words. Go ahead and get your pen out. All right, we're going to take some notes. This is going to be like introductory level Bible college class, okay? And so make sure you're taking notes because there will be a test at the end. Just kidding, there will be no test. But this is, this is very, very helpful. And so here's the three categories, cults, cessationism, and continuationism. We'll start with the cults because why not? So we'll start with cults. By cult, here's what I mean. A group or a sect of people who claim Christianity but hold to unorthodox Christian beliefs. Outside of Christian history, unorthodox in their belief, um, and primarily it centers around the doctrine of the Trinity and the role of the Holy Spirit. And so there's a lot of different cults around in the world, but in our area, there's probably three that you're most familiar with. So we'll discuss Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, and Oneness Pentecostals. Okay, we'll start with Mormons. Okay, Mormonism rejects the doctrine of the Trinity. They believe that the Holy Spirit is one of three gods. Okay, not one God in three persons, but he's one of three gods, or maybe to them, many gods. This is known as polytheism. Okay, we, we don't believe that. We believe in what's called the doctrine of the Trinity. All Christians through all times have held to the Trinity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That they're co-equal, they're co-eternal in relationship and adoration and harmony and in community with one another. And so all Christians believe in that. Um, Augustine, one of the early church fathers, he, he said, and I think this is very true, he said to understand the Trinity is to lose your mind, but to deny the Trinity is to lose your soul. And, and so like one God, three persons, but that is orthodox Christian belief. And so, so Mormonism, they would reject that. The second is Jehovah's Witness. And Jehovah's Witness believe in the Holy Spirit, but they would say that he is a force. 
that he is God's force that he permeates throughout all of creation. Okay, we, we don't believe that. That's known as panentheism. And, and what we believe is the Trinity. One God, three persons. Not a force, not an it, but the Holy Spirit is a person. He is a he. That he has a mind, he has a will, he has emotions, and he has intellect, and he has desires. And so we believe one God, three persons. And then the third group is known as oneness Pentecostals. Okay, locally they're known as united Pentecostals. But oneness Pentecostals, they would believe in Jesus, but they would say that, that Jesus is the only God. And in the Old Testament, he was God the Father. And then when he was walking here on earth, he was God the Son. And then after, um, in the book of Acts and the epistles, and still today what they call the apostolic age, Jesus is the Holy Spirit. So there's one God in three different manifestations. This is known as modalism. Okay, modalism is that, that Jesus appears to us in different modes or different manifestations. Okay, so they reject the doctrine of the Trinity. And, and so we don't agree with that. They would reject the doctrine of the Trinity. They would say the only way for you to be saved is if you are baptized in Jesus' name only and you must speak in tongues in order to be a Christian. Okay, we don't believe that. And, and so, so they're very strict, they're very religious, and we think on this point they're very wrong. And so those are kind of the three big categories uh, of the first one. And then the second category we'll discuss is that of cessationist. Now, cessationism, they, they believe in the Trinity, they, they love Jesus, they teach the Bible, but, but cessationists would say that the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased, that they are no longer in operation today. And there's a lot of amazing, great cessationists that I love and I respect and I, I even listen to and I read a lot of their books. Some men like R.C. Sproul, who passed away earlier uh, at the very end of last year. I love R.C. Sproul. His book, The Glory of Christ, changed my life. But he's a cessationist. Tim Challies, you know, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards. There's a lot of Johns on the cessation team. But though they would say that the Holy Spirit has ceased using the miraculous gifts in the church. And they come from this, this they come to this conclusion from the Bible. And they would take the verse out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 um, and, and verse 8 through 12. We'll throw it up on the screen. And they'll say that when the perfect comes, the gifts will cease. And that when the perfect comes, there will be no need for spiritual gifts. Well, the question then becomes, what does it mean, the perfect? Like, wh what does that mean? To them, they would say, well, the Bible's the perfect. That when the final period was put on the last book of the Bible and the book was closed, God the Holy Spirit left and took with him all of the spiritual gifts. And so now we have the Bible and to them that would be the perfect. And we would agree with them that we would say the Bible is perfect. Bible is the perfect, all-sufficient, satisfying word of God and that it's the final authority in the life of the believer. And we love the Bible and we teach the Bible, but we disagree with them that we actually believe what Paul is saying here by perfect is not the Bible, but rather Jesus. That when Jesus comes, well, then all the gifts will cease. See, in heaven, we're all going to be cessationist, okay? And so in heaven, we're all going to be, there's not going to be any need for tongues because, well, we're going to just talk to Jesus right there. There's not going to be need in, for healing because we're all going to be healed. There's not going to be need for prophecy because we're all going to know who Jesus is and see him face to face. And there's not going to be need for discernment because what well, will be fully known. And so when we get to heaven, we're all going to be cessationists. They just got started a little early. At least that's what I believe. And so, so that's the cults. That was a joke, and I thought it was pretty funny. So... Um, <laughs> So the cults and then cessationists. And then the third category is the continuationists. For all of those who are still with me, and I haven't Bible nerd bored you yet, we are 
continuationist. And what continuationist means is that the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit are still continuing or still operating in our life today. And this is where we would fall in these categories. Now, continuationism, it kind of just breaks off one more time. And so there's three subgroups that fall within continuationism. We would all agree that the gifts continue still to this day, but each group tends to focus on their distinctive and they focus on a particular aspect or work of the Holy Spirit, almost to the exclusion of others. And what's so commonplace is people will take their distinctives and then make them divisive. And I want to show you that that need not be the case. But there's three, um, three categories within continuationism, and I want us to highlight the, the successes, and I want to look after um, the pitfalls so that way we don't fall into those same traps. So the first category within continuationism is classical Pentecostals. Okay, not to be confused with oneness Pentecostals, but classical Pentecostals. This would be churches like Hillsong or James River Assembly or the belonging community out of Nashville. This would also include us. I am a licensed um, minister with the Assemblies of God. That, that is the world's largest Protestant organization um, with about 800 million adherents. Okay, so I know you probably never heard of the Assemblies of God, but it is kind of a big deal. And so that's kind of where we would fall. And when I say classical Pentecostals, here's what it means. That the Holy Spirit empowers and gives spiritual gifts to God's people so they can continue God's mission that it's all about mission, that it's about seeing people get saved. It's about seeing people become members of a church, about seeing people get baptized, about seeing people be healed, about seeing the lost reached, all for the glory of God. So classical Pentecostals, the gifts of the Spirit, is all about the mission. But the danger in this group is very quickly, they think that they're mature. That just because they have the baptism of the Holy Spirit or they speak in tongues, they're more mature than other Christians, as if a spiritual gift makes you automatically more mature. And, and they wouldn't say that, but that often is kind of the way they make other people feel. And so we need to be very aware of the successes and the pitfalls of each one of these categories. And so we need to be aware of that. The second group is that of charismatics. Okay, in charismatics, this would be a very large group. There's men and women on very opposite sides of the charismatic spectrum. On one hand, you could get men like Bill Johnson and Bethel Church. And then on the other hand, you can get men like John Piper and Bethlehem Baptist Church. Okay, both love Jesus. Both would be charismatics, but their ministries, very different. Very different, but they would still say they are charismatic. And, and charismatic belief is that the spiritual gifts are designed for the edification and the building up of the body. And, and we would definitely agree with that. How many of you need to be edified and built up at times? Right? So that's, that's very good. The danger in this group is very quickly that the operation of the gifts or the Holy Spirit can move from empowering or edifying to entertaining that it moves very quickly into entertainment to where worship becomes a performance and church becomes a show and that it's all about Christians and we no longer reach the lost. And so we need to be very aware of that as well. And the third category is your basic evangelical churches. This is just your run-of-the-mill Christian Jesus love in church. And this would be people like um, Stephen Furtick out of Elevation Church. This could be you know, Craig Rochelle out of Life Church or maybe Joel Osteen out of Lakewood Church. They're just your, your basic, ordinary, evangelical church. And they believe in the Trinity and they believe in the Bible and they love Jesus and they want people to get saved. But they tend not to focus on the gifts of the Spirit, but rather the fruit of the Spirit. 
and, and they, they focus on the fruit of the Spirit. And the danger in this group is um, they, they could take the work of the Spirit and they could diminish it and turn it into principles for you to live your best life now. And, and we don't believe that. Okay, we believe that God is working and God wants to work and God wants to do something and God's always active in transforming us through the work of the Holy Spirit. So why do I give you all of those categories? Why do I give you all of those big words? Why do I say that? Okay, because the goal of this series is to cast vision around and prevent compromise about who we are and what we believe when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And so the subtitle is a second look at the third person of the Trinity. And so the whole goal is that we would, we would gather around and we would pray about and think about what it means for us to be a church that worships in spirit and in truth. And the truth is, is that we've all been brought up with some background, with some belief, or with some upbringing about the Holy Spirit that typically focused on one aspect or one part, almost to the exclusivity of other parts. But I want to show you that that's not true. That's not always the case, that God has always been working through his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life, and he is not limited by history. He's not limited by upbringing. He's not limited by background. He's not limited by dispensation or denomination, but that he is always, always, always at work. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life today. In fact, the first inference that we have to the Holy Spirit is all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. The first verse of the first book of the Bible, we see that the Holy Spirit has work. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit hovered over the water. So from the very beginning, the Holy Spirit's been at work, bringing order out of chaos and bringing life into this world. He's been working from the beginning, and I believe that he's still working today. And the Holy Spirit, if you jump forward into the book of Exodus, falls upon a man named Bezalel. And he gives Bezalel the wisdom and the knowledge and the insight by the Spirit of God to be able to build God's temple so that God's people could worship him. And if you jump forward again into the book of Judges, you see the Holy Spirit working on three different men. That he falls on Othniel and gives him the, the strength to be able to lead. He falls on Gideon and gives him the strength to be able to lead. And he falls on Samson and gives Samson the strength to be able to lead the nation of Israel as a judge. And so God's been empowering people to lead. But then we jump forward into the book of 1 Samuel and we see where Samuel anoints King Saul as the first king of the nation of Israel. The Holy Spirit falls upon Saul and Saul responds by prophesying. And the same thing happens a little bit later to David as King David is anointed by Samuel. David is filled with the Holy Spirit and it says the Holy Spirit remained on him. But I need you to know this that the Holy Spirit didn't live in people of the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit didn't remain on people in the Old Testament. That the Spirit was only there for a season, only there for a time, was only there for a moment. And at times, due to sin, the Spirit would leave God's people. This is why when Saul sinned, the Spirit departed from him and he was depressed and tortured. And this is the reason that whenever David sinned, he cried out, he said, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me that God's spirit only remained for people in a season. But there's something that you and I have. There's something amazing. There's something wonderful. There's something that God did that you and I have something the people of the Old Testament only dreamed of, only wanted, only longed for. Because of the cross of Christ, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit with us. And we see this in the book of Ezekiel. A couple hundred years after Samuel is on the scene, Ezekiel, through the, through the Lord, he, he prophesies. And he, he gives a promise of something that is coming, a day that is coming to where we will have the Holy Spirit living within us. It's an amazing, wonderful promise that's still available for us today. And here's, here's what he says in Ezekiel chapter 36. 
I, this being God, will give you a new heart with a new spirit. And I will put that in you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh. A heart of stone that is hard and unwilling to bend to the ways of the Lord. Foolishness and folly and rebellion and sin and shame and condemnation. God's saying, I'm going to take that heart out of you. I'm going to take your past away from you. I'm going to take all of that and I'm going to give you a new heart. A heart that is soft. A heart that is tender. A heart that is willing to the work of the Lord, a heart that has been made new. I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. And then he says this, I, being God, will put my spirit in you. That because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, the moment that you become a Christian, the moment that you give your life to Jesus, the moment that you surrender to him, you give him your hope, your trust, your faith, that very moment, the creator of the universe puts his spirit inside of you. That you have something that only people in the Old Testament could only dream of, that God lives in you. He puts his spirit inside of you. But the Spirit not only works in the old, we see the Spirit at work in the new. Because when Jesus comes on the scene, John the Baptist, he's out baptizing people in the river, and John the Baptist baptized for repentance. That he was the the forerunner, preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah, and he was baptizing people for the repentance of their sins. And then Jesus comes along, and Jesus comes up, and Jesus comes to be baptized. Now, Jesus wasn't baptized for repentance. Jesus was baptized for righteousness. And that he was our great example and he goes before us and he shows us what it looks like for you and I to live a righteous life. And because Jesus was baptized, we too need to be baptized because that's what it means to follow in the path of righteousness that Jesus set before us. And so Jesus comes to be baptized by John the Baptist. And at this moment, we see all three persons of the Trinity at work. That as as God speaks and he says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus comes up out of the water and we see the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus like a dove. That all three persons are at work in this very moment. And the Holy Spirit, it says, remained on Jesus and that it empowered him so that way he could live his life, that he would live a life, a perfect life, and that he would live a life of ministry. And he did all of that because the Holy Spirit remained on him. And then we see the Holy Spirit show up again a couple of chapters later as Jesus is speaking with a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a, um, a religious leader who, who came up to Jesus and asked him, Jesus, how might I be saved? And Jesus responds to him and he says that the only way for you to be saved is if you were born again. The only way for a person to be saved is if they are born again. And then Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born, whoever is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is the flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is of the Spirit. That sounds very similar to Ezekiel, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound very familiar to Ezekiel? That whatever is born of flesh is of the flesh, but whatever is born of the Spirit is of the Spirit. And what Jesus is saying, the only reason anyone ever becomes a Christian is because the Holy Spirit pursued you. That the Holy Spirit draws you, the Holy Spirit calls you, the Holy Spirit awakens your life, awakens your heart, and the Holy Spirit causes us to be born again. That the Holy Spirit brings us to Jesus so that we can be born again and that we can live for Him. 
The Spirit's always been at work. He's been at work in the Old Testament. He's been at work in the New Testament. He doesn't start in the Acts and he doesn't start in the Epistles, but rather 800 times, 800 times throughout the entire Bible, we see that God's Holy Spirit is present and he is powerful and he is active and he is working by empowering God's people to live for God's purposes. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is still working today and I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do a work in your life. Amen? The Holy Spirit wants to do a work in your life. So if you got your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 4, and we're going to look at this incredible work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And here's the big idea, that the Holy Spirit is always working. The question is, are you willing? The Holy Spirit is always working. The question is, are you willing? So if you got your Bibles, we're in John chapter 16, verse 5. That's where we're going to start. And I said this last week, and I'll say this again because it's very important. That the trick to understanding the Holy Spirit is not to start with the Spirit, but rather to start with Jesus. That the trick to understanding the Spirit is not to start with the Spirit, but rather to start with Jesus. Because the whole purpose that God promises the Holy Spirit is to teach us about Jesus. The whole goal that the Holy Spirit has is to magnify and to glorify Jesus, to point us to Jesus, to teach us about Jesus, to show us about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's job is to show us how wonderful and amazing and glorious that Jesus is. And so if you want to understand the Spirit, the you don't start with the Spirit, but rather you start with Jesus. And that's why I'm so excited that we're doing this series and we're really starting with the teachings of Jesus because it's all because of Jesus. And nobody knew the Holy Spirit better than Jesus himself. And so today Jesus is going to teach us five works that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And the number one work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in you is he helps. Okay, and, and last week we kind of set all of this up that Jesus is alone with his disciples and they're in the upper room that it's at the very end of Jesus' life. And he spent the last three years hanging out with 12, now 11 men. And, and he's been doing life with them, that he's been, he's been serving with them, that they've been doing ministry together, that for the last three years they've been traveling around and Jesus was preaching and teaching and healing and performing miracles and they were right there all along the way. And now it's at the end of Jesus' life. He's only hours away from his death. And he just revealed to him the ultimate purpose and reason that he came. He tells them that I came to die, that I, I came to, to atone for the sins of the world, and I'm about to be arrested and tried and crucified and murdered, and then I'm going to hand my church, my mission off to you, and then it's going to be your opportunity, and it's going to be your responsibility, and it's going to be your privilege to take this word and to take my works and to take them all across the world. And on hearing this, the disciples, they're filled with sorrow. They're filled with fear. And with anxiety and with grief as they hear that their best friend and their Messiah is going to die. And then Jesus makes them a promise. Jesus makes them a promise. says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. But I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to be your helper. That the Holy Spirit is going to be my presence, my power. The Holy Spirit is my peace. And I'm going to leave that with you. And so Jesus promises that he was going to give them the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, he helps. And here's how Jesus says it now. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth that it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, there's our word, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him 
to you. Why does Jesus here say that it's to your advantage that I go away? But why would Jesus tell them that it's, it's better for you for me to leave? Isn't that kind of strange? How many of you through the course of your life, you were like, if I could only just see Jesus, then I would believe in him. Anybody? If I could just see him, then I would believe in him. Or, or maybe you're like, I have so many questions. If I could just get a minute, if I could just get a moment, if I could just spend time with Jesus, then all of my questions will be answered. If I could just be with Jesus, then I'll be brave, and then I'll be strong, and then I'll be bold, and then I'll be courageous. If only I could just be with Jesus, then I would do all the things that I ever wanted to do. Anybody? Hey, truth is you wouldn't. I, I, I love you, but, but you wouldn't. Because the disciples were with Jesus for three years, and they weren't. That the disciples, they, they walked with Jesus and they still doubted him. They still denied him. They still deserted him. That they were timid and they were afraid and they were cowardly, but yet they were physically with Jesus. But then something happened. Something amazing happened. Something wonderful happened. How did these men, 11 ordinary men who were timid, who were afraid, who were cowardly, how did 11 men change the world forever? What can you say that would account for this transformation? What would cause this change? What happened in their life? What took place? How did they do this? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit filled them and changed them, changed who they are. They went from being cowardly to brave. They went from being timid to strong. And they had the help of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, he helps. And last week we we saw this word helper kind of introduced. Because Jesus has said it five times throughout this whole section of scripture. And that word helper in the Greek, it, it means paraclete. And we discussed it a little bit, but I want to show you um, just how important understanding the Holy Spirit as your helper is for your everyday life. And some of your translations will have different words for that word helper, and I want to share with you five ways that the Holy Spirit helps. The first way that the Holy Spirit helps is that he is our helper. Look at that. When you are tired or when you are weak, what he does is he comes alongside of you that he'll, he'll come alongside of you when you're uncertain and you're uneasy, when something seems impossible, the Holy Spirit will come alongside of you and he'll help you through it. That he'll, he'll be your helper in that, in that moment. He's right there with you. Well, the Holy Spirit helps in another way um, because he's our advocate. That word paraclete is where we kind of get our term paralegal. You familiar with that term? Paralegal. So think about, think about life like a courtroom. Okay, and, and so God being the judge, and then us being the defendants, and Satan being the accuser, because the Bible calls him what? The accuser of the brethren. And so day and night, all day long, he is hurling accusations against you, and he is pointing his finger towards you, and he is accusing you, saying, you are unloved, and you are unwelcomed, and you are unworthy, and nobody wants you, and God's not going to save you, and nobody cares about you, and nobody wants to see you, and you're not going to be perfect enough, and you're never going to be good enough. You should just leave, and you should just kill yourself. See, a lot of times we think we have negative self-talk, The truth is we have demonic accusation. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside and says, that's not true. He says, no, no, that's not true. You are loved. In fact, God sent his only son because he loved you so much. He says, no, 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 that's not true. You are welcomed. He says, no, that's not true. You are forgiven. That you are healed. You are saved. That you are blessed. And he comes alongside and he speaks life into you. And he points to the judge and says, your honor, No, they've been forgiven. 
He says, no, no, your honor, the charges have been dropped. In fact, we have no record of these charges. The sins have been forgiven. The past has been forgotten. That the gavel from the judge has been dropped on the cross of Calvary and you've been declared not guilty. That you are innocent. You are free. You are free to go. And the Holy Spirit is our advocate before the Father, letting us know that the accuser has no place in our life. Well, the Holy Spirit does something else. He's our our counselor. This means that he's going to give you particular wisdom or insight or knowledge when you need it the most. And so if there's ever times that you don't know what to do, you don't know where to go, you don't know what to turn, okay, well, you can turn to God and he'll give you wisdom and he'll give you knowledge and insight because he is our our counselor. Reminded, James says that if anyone lacks wisdom, ask. The Holy Spirit is is our counselor. Well, he's something else. He's our intercessor. What this means is the Holy Spirit is praying for you. Does that sound strange? The Holy Spirit is praying. What do you mean God's praying for me? See, oftentimes we, we think about prayer like it's, a, like it's a monologue, okay? but prayer is actually like a dialogue. Over and over again, we see that Jesus prays for us, and we also see here that the Holy Spirit prays for us. So think about that. God, the creator of the universe, is also praying for you. Wow. Who knows prayers better than God himself? That God is praying for you. In the book of Romans chapter 8, it says, when we don't even have words, the Spirit prays. The Spirit intercedes. And so if you don't know what to say, you can pray in the Spirit. And if you, if you ever get to where you don't feel like anybody is praying for you or anybody is caring for you, know this. God is praying for you. That he is your intercessor. And then number five, he's our comforter. Now, why would Jesus call the Holy Spirit our comforter? Well, because he knows you're going to get uncomfortable. That life is going to be uncomfortable. And by uncomfortable, I don't mean the chairs you're sitting in right now. And I don't mean that somebody says something that makes you just feel a little awkward. I mean, life is hard. Jesus knows that. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat anything for his followers. He lets you know up front, okay, life is going to be hard. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be difficult times. So I'm going to help you by sending you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be your comforter. And the only way for us to be comforted is for us also to be uncomfortable. That we are comforted the most when we are the most uncomfortable. See, Jesus knows this, and he understands this, and this is the wonderful promise that you have available to you through the Holy Spirit. That he is your helper, and he is your comforter. But the Holy Spirit does something else. Jesus tells us, not only does he comfort, but he also convicts. And so here's how Jesus says it about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And so we see that the Holy Spirit, he convicts. And he convicts of three things. Sin righteousness, and judgment. First is, he convicts unbelievers of their sin. I want you to see that. It's unbelievers of their sin. What is their sin? They do not believe in me. No, notice this. He says sin. He doesn't say sins. Okay? He doesn't say plural. He starts with the singular. He, he convicts them of their sin. Well, why would he say sin? There's only one sin that sends anybody to hell, and that is rejecting Jesus. There's only one sin that will separate you from God for all of eternity, and that's living separated from God right now. There's only one sin that will send anyone to hell, and that is living your life apart and by rejecting Jesus. 
And so he says they can, he convicts them of their sin because they do not believe in me. Listen to me. You can be a good person and you can live a good life and you can recycle and you can walk your dog and you can keep your job and you can never do drugs and you can pay your taxes and you can die. Wake up in hell separated from God forever because it's not good people, bad people. We're all bad people who have been saved by a great Savior. And it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us that. It's the Holy Spirit who wakes us up to this amazing truth that we are great sinners, that Jesus is a great Savior. And apart from the Holy Spirit, we all live our life that way. The only reason that any of you ever became Christians is because the Holy Spirit convicted you first. And you could say, no, 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 I raised my hand. Well, the Spirit convicted you first. You say, well, that pastor, man, he prayed a prayer for me. Well, the Spirit convicted you first. No, I went to Baptist Bible camp and I I did all of the, no, 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 the Holy Spirit convicted you first. The only reason that anyone ever becomes a Christian is because the Holy Spirit convicted us of our own belief. And he comes to us and says, you need Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? Don't you want to see Jesus? Don't you want to give your life to Jesus? Don't you want to follow Jesus? Don't you see how beautiful and amazing and irresistible his grace is? Don't you want to love Jesus? And he awakens us to Jesus. Do you remember that moment in your life? Do you remember when you gave your life to Jesus? Do you remember that moment when the Holy Spirit convicted you and you believed? One of the greatest privileges that I have as a pastor is to see people meet Jesus. It it, it never gets old. I never get tired of seeing people meet Jesus. But did you know that you don't have to be a pastor to see people meet Jesus? Did you know that? Did you know that? That you can lead people to Jesus in your everyday life. You can share the gospel and the good news of Jesus, whether you're at work or with your kids. You, You can tell people about Jesus everywhere and anywhere that you're at, and you can see people's lives be changed. You don't have to be a pastor to do the work of the ministry. We're all in the ministry. And I remember when I saw my best friend get saved. He's the, the first person that I ever actually saw get saved. And, um, and whenever I was a new Christian, I was so passionate for the Lord. And I was definitely not very good at that. But it was a total wreck. Let's just be honest. I mean, when I first got saved, it was a mess, right? And, and I started this Bible study, and I just, I just wanted to know what the Bible said. And I just, I just, I would read it, and I didn't really understand it. So I thought, if I get five more people around, we definitely won't understand it, and that would be better. And so, so we just started inviting all of our friends to come over, and we just started reading our Bibles, and we started having questions and figuring out what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to to, to grow in Christ? What is what is this book even even talking about? And so we just started this Bible study, and it was. Whew, it was, a, it was not very good. I mean, everyone was smoking and, and drinking and sleeping with their girlfriends. And it was this punk rock anarchy Bible club. Like that's, that's pretty much what it is. Our community groups have evolved since then. But <laughs> the, the Holy Spirit was working in us. And I, I remember when my, my best friend, him and his girlfriend came to our, our Bible study and we're, we're all sitting around and we're fighting and we're arguing and we're debating. And he stops us in the middle of it. And he says, I I, I got to stop. And I think he's mad at us or something. I'm like, oh, did I say something to offend you? And, and, um, and, and so uh, nothing's really changed very much. But um, he said, no, I got to pray. He said, I, I don't know why. I just need to give my life to Jesus. He said, that he just prayed right there in the middle of that circle. And I got to pray with him. And I got to pray with his girlfriend. And he saved them right there in our apartment. And then a couple of years later, I got to perform the marriage ceremony for him and his now wife. And they, they love Jesus and they serve here at Redemption to this day. And it's amazing to see how Jesus not only changes lives, but he changes legacies. 
And that's under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, he didn't need me pointing out his sins. He knew because his spirit convicted him of his sin, of living apart from Jesus. Some of us were living apart from Jesus, that you're living your life separated from Jesus. And you think that just because I could be a good person and do some good deeds, in the end, it's all going to be good enough. But we know that good enough is never good enough. Listen, nobody's let you down more than you. Nobody's failed you more than you have failed yourself. How could we set our own standards for salvation? We can't even live according to our own convictions, so we need to submit to the convictions of the Holy Spirit. Right now, the Holy Spirit's leading some of you to become a Christian. The Holy Spirit's showing you who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit's showing you what Jesus has done. The Holy Spirit's telling you, even as I'm speaking right now, he's speaking to you. You need to listen. You need to you need to draw near and you need to obey the calls the Spirit speaking to you right now because he convicts unbelievers of their sin. But he does something else. He convicts Christians of their righteousness. If he convicts unbelievers of their sin, well, what does he convict Christians of? He says of their righteousness. That word righteousness is, is very important. Righteousness literally means right standing. That because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, we have been saved. That means our past has been forgiven. The blood of Jesus erases all of our sins and that we can stand before God perfectly reconciled in relationship with the Father because we're righteous. And that when God sees us, he doesn't see your sin, but rather he sees his son. That God doesn't see your sin, but rather when he sees you, he sees Jesus himself because you are the righteousness in Christ. Your activity may be wrong, but your identity is righteous. That in life, our activity can be our sin, but our identity is our righteousness. And this is what Jesus is getting after. He's talking about who you are. He's talking about the way that God sees you. He's talking about the way that we live our life. Jesus says we are righteous, and the Holy Spirit convicts us according to that righteousness. And, and I want you to know this. Right, uh, rather, conviction and condemnation are totally different. Okay, this is so important for you to understand this because if you don't know your righteousness, you're going to live in condemnation. Condemnation comes from the evil one. That's sin and shame. That is, that, that is um, where you, you feel unworthy, unwelcome, and unloved, and you'll remain in that condemnation if you don't understand righteousness. Righteousness comes from the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and it tells you who you are. Let, let, me, let me give you an example. My grandparents, they lost their home in the recent hurricane. And they've lived there for like 45 years. Okay, it's the only house that I, I ever grew up in. And I know, I mean, I have it tattooed on my arm. And so um, we would go to my grandparents' house all the time, every single weekend, um, Friday and Sundays after church. And, and we still do, but they lost their home in the hurricane and they had to move to the opposite side of town. Now, we still go to the house and we get there pretty much by going in the same direction. So we get on I-10, we drive all the way into Orange. But the only difference is instead of turning left, now we turn right. And all my life, I've turned left. My entire life, I'm just driving in and just turn left, just turn left. This is the way I go. This is the way that I've always gone. This is my natural habits. And this is just, this is just what I think, turn left. But now when I get to that stoplight and I turn left, I'm like, what the heck am I doing? I'm going the, the wrong way. And I have to be reminded at that stoplight, you don't live there anymore. That's the way the Holy Spirit works in us. That in our life, we're so used to turning left that all of our life we've turned left. All of our life we've gone in an opposite direction. All of our life we've just, we've just lived over here and the Holy Spirit says, you don't live there anymore. 
That's not who you are. That's not where you go. That's not where life is. Turn right. This way to joy. This way to happiness. This way to life. This way to righteousness. Don't turn left. Turn right. You are not turning left. We're turning to righteousness. That's the way the Holy Spirit convicts us. Does that make sense? Do you all get that? Well, the other thing is he convicts us of Satan's defeat. Okay, he says, the ruler of the world has been judged. Last week we saw that Satan is the ruler of the world, but he has no hold on Jesus. And here Jesus says it again, that the ruler of the world has been judged. So he convicts us of judgment. Now know this, this is not your judgment. If you're a Christian, your judgment's been paid on the cross, not guilty. But Satan was defeated through the cross. And so Satan has been judged. Satan has been defeated. And what this means for you and I is we're no longer victims to our sin, but we are victories through Christ. That our old life has no place on us. We don't have to live the way that we lived. We don't have to be the person that we were. We don't have to do the things that we used to do because our sins have been forgiven. We've been declared righteous and we have victory through the finished work of Jesus because Satan has been defeated. This is what the Spirit convicts us of. First, of our sin, then of our righteousness, and then of Satan's defeat. May we be a church that continually lives under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Well, the Spirit does something else as well. The Holy Spirit, he guides. Here's how Jesus says it in verse 12. For I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you all the things that are to come. Now, why would Jesus say, you can't bear them now? Why would Jesus say to his disciples, I have a lot of things that I want to tell you. There's a lot of things that I want you to understand. There's a lot of things that I want you to know. But if I told you, you would probably freak out. Why why would Jesus say something like this? I want you to understand, but the disciples, they would be unwilling to follow him. If Jesus, because he knows the future, were to tell his disciples everything that he had prepared for them, they would probably not be willing to follow him. I mean, listen, okay, Jesus, Jesus knows what's, what's going to happen. And imagine if in the upper room, Jesus is like, all right, boys, come on, gather up. All right, um, Peter, right? You're going to get to preach Pentecost. You're going to see 3,000 people get saved and plant the first church. Yay. And then you're going to be crucified upside down, right? You think he's like, oh, okay, cool. That sounds like a good plan, right? Do you think so? Do you think if you're like, John, you're my boy, like you're the beloved John, you're going to write five books of the Bible, and then when you're an old man, you're going to be boiled alive in oil. You think John's like, yep, sign me up, Team Jesus. Probably, probably not. Thomas, you're going to get to touch the hands and feet of the resurrected Lord, and then you're going to go to India where they're going to run you through with the spear and put your dead body on the outskirts of town for it just to rot in front of everybody. Thomas, you up? You, you down? Let's do this. You think Thomas, the doubter's like, yep, sign me up, you know, for I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord, right? Do you think anybody would want that? No. Eight of you, Jesus says, nobody's even going to mention your name in the Bible again. But you're all going to be sawn in half. You're going to be beheaded. You're going to be crucified. You're going to be disemboweled in front of the city. Mark, they're going to tie you to horses, and they're just going to rip you to pieces. You down? Probably not. But see, when we read the Bible, what we tend to think is this. Well, if I was a disciple, then things would be different. If I was a disciple, I wouldn't be like Peter. I wouldn't deny Jesus. I'd be strong. If I was Thomas, I wouldn't be the doubter Thomas. I would be the faithful Thomas. I'd be the bold Thomas. We read the Bible and we think, man, if I were one of these disciples, the truth is you wouldn't. 
I love you, but you would not be like that because they weren't like that. The truth is, is, is we oftentimes, when in our life, we, we want the big picture. We want God, show me everything. Show me the future. Show me your plans. Show me your promises. God, show me what it was to be. And God doesn't show us the big picture. He shows us piece by piece. See, he knows that if he were to tell him everything to those disciples, they wouldn't have been willing to follow him. He, he knows that if I would have told you everything, it would have been too difficult for you to accomplish. So instead of laying it all out, he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and he's going to guide you. And he guided them to continue the work that he had for them. And that's the same way the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life as well. See, we want the big picture, but he gives us piece by piece. Listen, how many of you, when you got saved, if Jesus were to tell you all the things you would have gone through and all the things, the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the successes and the failures and all of the seasons of life, would you still sign up to follow him? Probably not. Probably not. See, see we, want, we, want, we want all the, the blessings, but we don't really want the difficulties. But oftentimes it's through the difficulties that God guides us. And so the disciples, they had to learn to trust the Spirit as he guided them. Well, how do we know it's the Spirit who guides us? Well, the Spirit does something else. Jesus says the Holy Spirit speaks. And we can know the Holy Spirit's guiding us because the Holy Spirit's speaking to us. Here's what he says. He says, For he, being the Holy Spirit, will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Now, I know that this can be controversial to some and can be confusing to others. Controversial because some of you, you're really like, what do you mean the Holy Spirit speaks? What do you mean God still speaks? Others of you, this is confusing because you're wondering, how do I differentiate between God's voice and my voice? How do I discern between God's thoughts and, and, and my thoughts? And I'll be honest with you, I wrestled for years to understand whether or not God speaks or how God speaks and how I know which voice is God's. And so I want to share with you very briefly a couple of things that I've learned about listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So the first and the primary way in which God speaks is he speaks to us through the scriptures. Okay, God speaks to us through the scriptures. If ever in your life you're like, I need a word from God, all you need to do is read the word of God. This word is God's word to us, that it's perfect, it's all-sufficient, satisfying, and it's the final rule in the life of a believer. This is our authority, and that we, we, we live underneath the scriptures. As Christians, we're people of the book, and so, so we don't have to guess, and we don't have to speculate about who God is, or what God says, or what God wants us to do, because he's already told us in the book, and the Holy Spirit wrote the book. He wants you to read the book. He wants you to read the book. He inspired the scriptures, and so he'll illuminate the scriptures for you. If you're ever in a place to where you're struggling and you're wrestling, you're like, I don't know what this says. I don't know how to do this. I, I don't understand this. Just, just, just stop for a minute and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you because he wrote the book. He wants you to read the book. And I feel impressed to say this as well. Um, some of you are wondering, where do I start when I read the Bible? I would suggest that you pick a book and pray through it. Just pick one single book. A good book to start is in Mark. Pick the Gospel of Mark because it's the simple gospel and teaches us all about Jesus. Read five, read 10 verses, one little section, and then just stop and just pray. God, what does this mean? Spirit, teach me in this moment. Show me the book. Give me a hunger. Give me a love. Give me a desire for your word because that's the way in which God speaks to us. And I need to say this, that it's the primary way. It's the primary way. And by that, I mean, this is the only authoritative way that God speaks to us. 
This is the supreme court and all the other ways in which God speaks, they're like the, the lower courts. Everything is filtered through by this book. This is the only authoritative way. That means that there will never be anything equal to or contradictory to this word. Okay, equal to. There's not going to be a book of Karen. So if you feel like you got a word from the Lord, okay, it's not, it's not going to make it in the Bible, okay? And so it's not equal to the scripture. So whatever you think, whatever you feel that the Lord is telling you, it's never going to be equal and it's never going to be contradictory. That God's not going to tell you something that goes against what his word says. This is why it's so important for you to know what the Bible actually teaches. Because if you come up to me and you're like, thus saith the Lord, if you're not quoting a Bible verse, we're going to have a hard time. Okay, because this is the only way in which God speaks. If you come up to me and you, you, you say, okay, well, God told me that I should, you know, I, I should, you know, live in with my girlfriend. Okay, that's not God because that goes against his word. If you come up to me and you say, well, God told me that I don't have to go to church anymore. I'm like, well, that's not God because that's not what the Bible says. If you come up to me and you're like, and you say, well, God told me I don't need to read my Bible. That's not God, right? Because that's not what God says in his, in his word, right? And ladies, if a guy ever comes up and says, God told me that you're supposed to be my wife, you tell him to get a second opinion, okay? Because <laughs> that's not the way that this works. So the Spirit's job is to speak to us through the Scriptures. Do you get that? Do you understand that? Okay, so the primary way that God speaks to us is through the Scriptures, but there are lower, lesser ways in which God speaks. Let me share some of those with you. The other one is that God speaks to us through promptings or through impressions. This is where God the Spirit sometimes prompts you or gives you an impression to say something, to serve someone, to help someone in ways that you normally wouldn't do. Well, how do I know I wouldn't do it? Well, because you wouldn't do it. And so it comes from somewhere else, and you know that this is the Holy Spirit because it's a good thing and you're helping someone. I'll give you a quick illustration. I have a buddy of mine who, as we're getting ready for this sermon series and we're praying through the spiritual gifts and we're kind of looking ahead and he's helping me work this out, um, we, we were kind of anticipating God to do some cool things. And so the next day afterwards, he's driving to, to work and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a Bible verse and a person's name, boom, comes to mind. And he hasn't seen this person in over a year. And so he's like, well, I know that that's not me. And so he, he calls him and says, hey, um, you know, I was praying for you this morning. just kind of came up. And then I sent you this Bible verse. And that guy says, how did you know? How did you know this is exactly what I needed? And this is exactly what I needed to hear. How did you know? Well, the answer is he didn't. Right? He had a prompting or an impression from the Holy Spirit. He was obedient to that. And he was able to minister and help someone in their time of need. Sometimes the Holy Spirit wakes me up at two or three o'clock in the morning and he just, he just tells me to pray. He might give me a name, maybe a person, maybe a situation. And he's just like, you need to pray. And I just wake up. Now, I used to be pretty upset about that. Uh, but I've learned that he makes up for it on the back end. And so I don't, I don't text you at three o'clock in the morning, right? Because that's rude. But some of you, I'll, I'll text you throughout the day or maybe throughout the week. And nine times out of 10, it's pretty specific to what, what you actually might be going through because there's the impressions that the Holy Spirit gives us. Well, the third way is through things called burdens. Very similar to an impression or a prompting, but it doesn't leave. That it becomes a burden in a, in a good way. And it's like almost everywhere you go and everywhere you look, you see this, this, this thing. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a decision that you must make. Maybe it's a ministry opportunity. Maybe it's a nation. But it's almost like there's this burden. And it leads you to a deep place of prayer and meditation and consideration for what God has for you. So one for me is church planting. Okay, I, I love church planting. I eat, sleep, breathe church planting. Now, I don't need the Holy Spirit to tell me church planting is important because the Bible tells me that. 
but there is a specific burden that God has placed on me, especially for church planting in the Muslim world. And uh, so um, we're going to be listening as a church to that burden, and we're going to be obedient, and this year we're going to be investing significantly in church planting in places like Iraq and Iran for the glory of God and for the good of others, because that's a burden that God has given us specific towards church planting. And so some of you, you have burdens, ministry opportunities, people, places, names, you have big decisions that you need to make, and you know that that comes from the Lord. So whatever God has placed on you, whatever burden you have, you should be obedient. Well, another way is just through Christians that God speaks to us through other believers. And this is why it's so important for you to be active in a church and in a community group because God speaks to us through other Christians. You ever been talking to somebody and out of nowhere you're like, whoa, that's very relevant to what I'm dealing with right now, right? And that's because God speaks to us through other Christians. Sometimes it's words of knowledge. Sometimes it's words of wisdom. Sometimes it's, you know, prophetic words. And sometimes it's just encouraging words because God speaks to us in those ways. And then number five, dreams and visions, Okay, dreams and visions are very real. I personally have never had a prophetic dream or vision. That doesn't mean that they don't exist, but they are very real. And it's God's way of kind of showing us something that we need to pray for or something that he wants to accomplish. We had a gal in our church last week. She came up to me and she said, she said um, I, I had, a, had a vision. And it's almost like a dream while you're awake. And, and she, she said, I, I had a vision and our whole church, um, Bibles open, hands raised. I said, praise God because we're doing a series about what it looks like to worship in spirit and truth. Bible's open, hands raised, spirit and truth. That's the kind of church we want to be. And so God's showing her how to pray for the future of our church. Now, this could very well be the future of our church, and God showed her that, or, which I believe God's showing us how we need to be praying for our church. And so these are ways in which God speaks to us, and I believe that God is always speaking. I think the problem is we're not always listening. God is always, always speaking. The problem is, is we're not always, we're not always listening. And oftentimes we want God to shout at us. Okay, but God doesn't shout. God whispers. That God speaks to us through a whisper. Now, why would God speak through a whisper? Because he wants you close. Because when someone whispers, you have to be quiet. You have to still your mind. You have to quiet your soul. You have to make time and you draw close, and you can hear God speak. See, if you're always watching TV and working and on Netflix and playing on your Xbox, right, you're not going to hear God speak because you're always too busy. But if you quiet, slow down, I believe, I can guarantee you, you'll learn to hear God speak. So God's always speaking. Problem is we're not always listening, and God's always working, and the question is, are we willing? And so how do we know God guides? How do we know God speaks? How do we know it's, any of this comes from the Holy Spirit? How do we know well, lastly, Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. The whole goal, the job of the Holy Spirit is to make much of and to glorify Jesus. The Spirit points us to Jesus. The Spirit shows us Jesus. The Spirit teaches us about Jesus. For the Holy Spirit, it's all about glorifying Jesus. If there's anything in your life that is distracting, that is compromising, or taking you away from Jesus, that's not the Spirit working in your life because the Holy Spirit is all about Jesus. And here's how he closes it out. He, being the Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. That word glory, it's a mega theme throughout all of the scriptures. It means weightiness, worthiness, holiness, 
prominence, preeminence, of most and first importance, that there's nothing more important than answering this question, who is Jesus? What has Jesus done? What does Jesus says? What, how does Jesus save us? There's nothing more important than understanding who Jesus is, and the Holy Spirit's going to glorify Jesus before you so that you can see him, because when you see Jesus, everything changes, and the Spirit shows us Jesus And some of us, there's things in our life that aren't glorifying to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's going to reveal that to you. And some of us, we're living our life apart from Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is going to reveal that to you. That there's doubts and there's seasons and there's circumstances and there's hardships. And the Holy Spirit's going to help us in those moments. So that way we can glorify Jesus. And he says, don't you want to live for Jesus? Don't you want to love Jesus? Don't you see Jesus? That Jesus is greater. That Jesus is bigger. That Jesus is stronger. That Jesus is your Savior. Who is Jesus? That he is worthy and that he is holy and that he is majestic and that he is glorious because it's always only solely totally all because of Jesus and if you know that and if you believe that and if you see that that's because the Holy Spirit's revealed it to you that the Holy Spirit's been working in your life that he's been working on your life and now I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to work through your life that what God does in you God wants to do through you in the same way that he took 11 ordinary men and filled them with the Holy Spirit and single-handedly changed this world forever. I believe that God the Holy Spirit wants to do the same work in your life because we have the same Jesus. We have the same mission. We have the same Bible and we have the same Holy Spirit. So how did 11 men change the world? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. How will your life be changed? Because you will be filled with the Holy Spirit that God's always been working. The question is, are you willing that God was working in the Old Testament in the beginning by bringing life and God the Holy Spirit's working in your life in the beginning, that God the Holy Spirit was working on men of the old to teach them to worship, and God's working on our church to teach us how to worship. The question isn't whether he's working. The question is, are you willing? The way the Holy Spirit was working in Jesus' life, empowering him for mission, the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life, empower you for mission. It's not whether he's working. It's whether he is willing, or you are willing, rather. He works by helping. Are you willing He works by convicting. Are you willing to live under the conviction of the Holy Spirit? He works by guiding. Are you willing to be led of the Holy Spirit? He works by speaking. Are you willing to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? He works by glorifying Jesus. Are you willing to live a life for the glory of God and for the good of others? He's always working. May we be a church that is willing to submit and to surrender to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.